child actor Rick Schroeder recently released a video of a childhood experience he had in Hollywood where he believes he met members of this cult. I was hanging out with the older guys. And I'm on Point Doom, and somebody popped in a cassette tape into a VHS player. And there was a room with a body, I believe it was a male, laying on a table. And uh, people came around the room. It was dimly lit, but they had hoods and robes on. And uh, they had some sort of ritual where they took out a knife and they cut him down the side. It was his right side. And they took out parts of him and the blood started flowing. And they were chanting. And um, some there was women there and they took off their clothes. And then they took the blood and they smeared it on their bodies and started to be sexual with each other. It was uh, quite disturbing to see. Oh yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast. Cause it's a very good podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a funny, 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 funny show. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. One of your hosts, D. Simon. Hi. Hello. I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Kate Rambo, back in the UK. Yes, I am back in the exhausted, suffering with jet lag, complaining nonstop back in the UK. So hot here, D. You know, um, yeah, no, that is odd. That's odd because here it's not that hot. It's like unseasonably cold. It's overcast uh, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving it. This is like perfect weather for me. You know, this like upper Costa 60s. Costa del Cumbria. But typically in May in LA, it'd be like in the 80s. So it's kind of nice here. Whereas I think, uh, yeah, it's probably hotter in Carlisle. Yeah, it was uh, as soon as I got off that plane and hit London, I was like, holy fuck. I'm there in like two different layers, leather jacket, a hat on. I was like, what? Oh, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. So, you know, you did have a stroke of luck, though. I was reading today because you got in, what, Friday morning? Yes. Are you going to talk about the passport controls being down? Because Sophie alerted me to this. That happened today. It's, I think yeah. it's fixed now, but oh. there was a nationwide uh, border system issue that hit the electronic gates at uh, Gatwick and Heathrow. And you had to, they had to manually process your passport. So all UK passport holders, normally you just go through the auto, um, the auto gates and just kind of slip through. You had to stand in like people were waiting for six hours to get out of the airport. Oh my god! Oh my god! I would have probably pissed. Can you imagine how much complaining I would have done? It would have been nonstop. They probably would have let you through just just for the sake to of stop. those around you. Just to stop the complaining, but yeah, that's really bad. But like the other thing that fucked you, airports that fucked us in the fucking ass is Brexit, because before that we had a little passport chip. Um, 
things. So if you were part of the EU, you can go through the passport things that have the little chip in them really fast. These ones, the electronic ones, there's still an electronic one, but these electronic ones now take all the passports. So you're waiting in line with like everyone. It doesn't matter anymore. Oh, they don't fast track the British like UK passport no. holders? No, you wait with fucking everyone. I think only if you're from a dodgy country do you go in the other line. But, you know, I was waiting in line with, like, Australians and um, Americans. But during wow. Brexit, when you were part of the EU, you could go through the other fancy gates, and it took you, like, two minutes. And also, when you're in other countries, you're in the EU, so you don't have to wait through, like, the normal passport control line. Yeah, you, you use the little passport chip ones. Yeah. My old anymore. passport had the chip in it. Not anymore. Now you got to wait. No. you got to wait with the Yanks to get into Italy. And- yeah, we do. Gone are the glory days. You know, airports just aren't as fun. This is what, and the other thing I always say about airports is, why is there such a restriction on the amount of fluids you can take through security? I think it's a war on women, and I always make this point, because the 9-11 bozos, they weren't women. They weren't going on with perfumes and foundations and mascaras and taking over a plane with foundation hairspray and mascaras, although that would be fucking fabulous. It was a bunch of fucking men, right? So why isn't there tighter security on men in airports? Why is the fucking security placed on women with our makeup? What I don't get about it is you guys are all Gestapo about that little plastic bag. This is what I'm talking about. Yet you don't care about people wearing shoes. Oh, no, you have to take, if you're wearing boots, you have to take your boots off. Yeah, but, but sneakers or, you know, Tennis shoes, you could just walk right through it with. Whereas in the U.S., they're not as draconian about the little plastic bag. I mean, they do regulate the size of some size. of the toiletries, but they're not. They don't care that they can fit into a plastic bag. But they do make you take your shoes off. It's just all fucked up. I remember when I came sense. back from a jaunt to Poland, and you know, like uh, you know, Soflisha, Soflisha. I can never say it. It's just like a flavored kind of vodka. It's fucking delicious. Apart from the hazelnut flavor, I love the cherry one. It's so good. And uh, I bought like maybe five like tiny little bottles, like hip flask bottle sized. And I just put them in my bag, forgot all about them, went through security, went through control, went through everything. Nothing happened to me. Nothing happened to me. But the minute you don't have something in that fucking bag, a hundred mils, they go off on you. Yeah. It's more on women, and then, they, and then they pull you off to the side and they have to scour through your bag. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. I do like it when they give you that touch up, though. When they feel you up? Yeah, because I find it kind of semi-erotic. Really? Like when the a man they... does it or a woman does it or both? Well, no, because I'm, I'm a woman. It's always a woman who touches me up. But whenever they do it, it's just like the pressure. It's like a firm full pressure it's just really nice and like especially when they go up your back it, i'm just like oh it gives me chills nice even if it, but i mean do you find the typical tsa agent attractive i'm not thinking about what they look it's like a, basically at that moment I, I pretend they're patrick swayze in whoopi goldberg's body and this is ghost so that means you still find whoopi goldberg attractive no i find patrick swayze attractive <laughs> yeah, if but i just whoopi close goldberg's my eyes body. long enough I mean, you're, 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 Patrick Swayze would be a ghost inside of Whoopi Goldberg's body. Then the Righteous Brothers starts playing over the uh, the airport <laughs> security announcement. Anyway, uh, Kate is back weird. in the UK, but hopefully not for much longer this time. You got your interview scheduled, when is that, end of June? 
at the US yeah, Embassy. Yeah, next month, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Don't jinx it. I'm touching a table. Don't jinx. And then you get your green card, and then after that, uh, you can uh, you can move here. The real stress will begin. Yes, let's let's bring that on. An international move with somebody who has sentimentality and harder issues. Let's let's rip that <laughs> plaster off really fast. It's a good thing when you do move, because then you you end up like cutting all your belongings in half. I'm hoping just that that's like half of your porcelain don't, zoo. Don't say that. Every, no, <laughs> I was thinking today, I was looking at my most delicate because I have some really tiny uh, uh, Beswick, Buick uh, animals, like really tiny. And I was like, oh my God, I, my heart will break if they break. It will just be such a sad day. Can you imagine me at the pot looking through all my things if all my zoo is broken? It'd yeah, be like be, something out of a Hitchcock film. It's going to be so tragic. <laughs> you <laughs> so you had a quick visit you're only here for a couple of weeks but we did a lot in those two weeks time just kind of flew by so much fun we did do a lot um, i was thinking today i would give my left nut right now to be in a desert hot spring hotel with weird german people who expected more from the hotel so you can hear all the deets on the second show we do go into the details of the second half of kate's visit um but last Tuesday, we ended up visiting four murder sites in one day, which I think God, that, that might be a record. Is that our for record us. yet? It yeah. might be. And got to have locks and bagels at uh, Nate Nows in Beverly Hills. And also found the best mini mart I've been in yet in LA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That place is really cool. And San Vicente. That place is really cool. Yes, so, one of the infamous murder sites that uh, we went to was in Beverly Hills. It was the Menendez Brothers' home at uh, 722 North Elm Drive, uh, Beverly Hills, California, 90210. And it's such a strange area. Like, just driving around there, I just feel so out of place. Because I seldom go into Beverly Hills. I mean, I know it's just one town over. But I seldom go over there because I don't really have a reason to. But it's just, I feel so out of place there. Like, yeah, it's weird? a weird world. It to me, it feels very much like you're in in a movie set. It kind of feels like no one lives here. These houses are all empty, and you're just waiting for like the movie crews to roll on in. It doesn't feel like part. LA is weird like that though. There's parts of LA that don't feel like LA. Yeah, and especially Beverly Hills because you just have like these massive homes, this massive area of land, but there, you don't really see people. I was half expecting somebody to run out of the Menendez brothers home and be like, get the fuck out of here. While you were like posing for pictures in front of it. And but I would have gotten happen. really mad because you don't buy a murder house without expecting the deaf hags to roll up. Like I'd be so <laughs> proud to own a murder house like that. Wouldn't you? Every, yeah, every year I mean, on the anniversary, I would probably throw a party. It's a great home. I mean, I would love to live there. Would you have it laid out inside exactly like it was when they went in and like killed their parents? Like, would you, I would replicate it. I would try to find the same couch, the same bloodstained yes. couch, the same bloodstained <laughs> carpet, the, 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 uh, like the curtains, the drapes with like little pieces of brain. I'd want it all preserved yeah. exactly how it was. That was probably what I would do as well. You're just like, oh, you can't go in that room. That's the murder room. <laughs> well, I love that we were sitting there. Like, I was taking a couple pictures. We were kind of sitting, we we're going back to the car to take off. And we see some, like, entitled 17-year-old fuck 
come out of that mansion next door to the Menendez brothers' home. And he kind of sneered at us, like mean mugged us, as he got into his Ferrari and just peeled out down the street. We're just like, yeah, what the fuck? It is a different world. I mean, it's like this kid was probably 16 or 17 years old, and he's driving a fucking Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, he's not even, he's never going to be old enough to know how bad life can get. Those people are just different. Well, I don't think I don't think it really matters to him, you know. Much like it didn't really matter to Eric and Lyle Menendez, who on the night of August twentieth, nineteen eighty nine, they walked into their Beverly Hills home and just shot their parents with a shotgun. Jose and Kitty, I love her name. I know, Kitty. I was going to write a little overkill on this, but maybe we'll do it next week. Because I know there's big debates about did Jose diddle his two children? And I am on the side of the fence where he did not diddle his two children. But maybe I'll do like an overkill about it next week. No, I think his sons were greedy cunts that just wanted a lot of money. They didn't want to work. I don't think they'd ever have to work. Well, now they don't because they're in jail. So they got their wish. Well, so the home was in fact a rental that the Menendez family was living in while renovations were being done on their other home that they actually owned in Mulholland Drive in Calabasas. Oh, I wonder what address that was. We should try and swing by that. I'm not sure. But that two-story home uh, sits on a half an acre of land with over 9,000 square feet of living space. You probably can't get close yeah. to it. But, but the property on uh, Elm Street had a pool, a private tennis court, a two-story guest house, and a two-car garage. Really? All in the back? You wouldn't yeah, think you wouldn't really know, but back. I mean, it's a huge home. It's multiple stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get know? that. But when you're looking at it and when you watch the crime scene footage, you just wouldn't think it's got that much space in the back. But yeah, it obviously does. So after the murders in 1989, I guess uh, they had a hard time reselling the home, which I was wondering, like, who... So the, the, the parents are murdered. The two sons go to prison. So who's reselling the home? Well, whoever like, rented it out. Oh, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, then people could still there, isn't there? What about the other home in Calabasas? Well, yeah, that's different because that is owned by Kitty and Jose. So then that would have gone to Eric and Lyle. In fact, I wonder if that's where Eric and Lyle hid out because, you know, they were on lamb for a little while. Well, that but home then, was being renovated, so I'm not quite sure. I imagine it probably got foreclosed by the bank, couldn't it, for legal fees to pay for I don't know, or maybe another lawyers. family member. Yeah, um, but, passed yeah, down. Yeah, who's paying the mortgage. Well, so... Um, the house on Elm was put back on the market as a rental um, after the murders, and it was Amazing. sought out by a Saudi prince who leased the property for $50,000 a month. You fucking joking. And yeah, that's no, in like 1991 <laughs> or something. Like, uh, yeah, like 91, 92. Fucking hell. So that's when 50 grand really meant 50 fucking grand. 50 grand a month. And then uh, shortly after, a mystery writer by the name of uh, an author named William Link he purchased the property in 1993, and he lived there for eight years before putting it back up for sale. And, you know, that guy probably definitely was, uh, you know, allured by the, uh, the history of the home. The, the murder room. And so it was put back up in sale, for sale like November 2001, and then it was sold to a telecom exec named Sam Delug for $3.743 million, which was less than the $4 million that uh, the house was initially worth when uh, Jose and Kitty lived there. Yeah, I was about to say, it hasn't really increased much in value. Well, I mean, uh, now, 
Uh, it, cur- it currently has an estimated market value of 5.7. And so, so Sam DeLugue apparently is still living there, this telecom exec. Oh, okay. We should have gone up and been like, yo, Sam, let us in. Let us into the <laughs> den, Sam. Please. So this week, we're not going to talk about two greedy cunts who murdered their parents. Everybody knows about that story. It's probably one of the most famous, infamous murders in, uh, in California. Uh, but we're going to talk about kind of a tangential story. A right. daycare sexual abuse case in the 1980s that was loosely connected to the Menendez brothers via the DA who prosecuted them. Yes. But before we get into all that, let's have a chat about the Sick and Wrong patron. People, I know we say this every week, but we do mean it. If you support indie podcasting, if you, deep in your heart, support the people who aren't connected to a network, who don't have the backing of these massive companies or some celebrity status, we're just indie people. You know, we're just like an indie punk band. You're putting out our own records. You know, recording it on Pro Tools. So I say, we don't have Menendez brothers money. Yeah. So if you support indie podcrafting, we just ask you to sign up for the Sigron Patreon and uh, support the show. Keep it going. For only a few bucks a month, just $5 a month, you get access to Sick and Wrong's second show. So that's two shows of Sick and Wrong every week. And this week, we get into all the details about the rest of Kate's holiday in L.A. Even uh, last Sunday, we saw Billy Bob Thornton's band at the oh, Troubadour, God. and it was god-awful. We get into that. We had to leave early. We had to leave early. They made Kate leave early. This is the second show. You can find out about that. Uh, But then we got trashed with a good friend of mine and a former pimp at the the Rainbow. That was a lot of fun. Um, We also talk about my sister's uh, plans for this Memorial Day weekend. She's toilet training Ozzy for the next three days. And uh, wait, let me grab my phone. You got to listen to this text I got from her. This is, I was asking her today, I was like, hey, how's it going with the, uh, with the toilet training? This is what she sent me. It's going to be gross. Ozzy is pissed all over the house today. And then he just bent over, looking at me, making eye contact, and a log just fell out of his ass right on the floor. This is fucking insane. He's like we'll into all the living details. with a mental person. It's, I, it blows my mind that anybody would do this to toilet train a kid. So five bucks a month, you get access to the Sick and Wrong uh, second show on Patreon. Also, you can subscribe to second show on the Apple Podcast app. So right now we, uh, we put up a uh, second show on Apple Podcast. So there's two different ways uh, to support the show. And for a few bucks more, um, you get access to the Sick and Wrong Overkill, our bonus mini-sode, as well as the Sick and Wrong Archives. Uh, which is the first 10 years of Sick and Wrong on SoundCloud playlists available on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. We do appreciate the support. Let me play this quick promo, and then let's get into the story about the McMartin preschool trial. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I prefer Jews because they're circumcised and usually lack hang-ups. We live in Sacramento, so Jews like hang-ups frequent, but that's what we would prefer anyway. This is not a cuckold situation. She and I like to suck cock together, and she likes to be DP'd and wobbly H'd. <laughs> <laughs> so Erin got this email randomly on Facebook. 
and was like, yeah, I'm thinking of going to Sacramento. For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever... So it's like Dee said before, this story isn't about the Menendez brothers. It's not really, but it does start with them. Because after we visited the home of one of the hottest murders in Beverly Hills, I then went back to Dee's less palatial and much less spatial <laughs> pad in WeHo. And this is my last day in LA. I did what comes naturally to us deaf hags and gorehounds. And I was watching like a murder documentary whilst I did some casual packing. Long-time listeners will know I pretty much despise most of the tripe that Netflix calls true crime. But this was Hulu, all right? I don't have Hulu. I'm discovering it. And I was like, it's background noise. So I'm half paying attention as I'm folding up all my soiled underwears. It's a, And it was a quick flashing image on this Menendez Brothers documentary. It was nearly as fast as a shotgun blast. And it's of a woman called Virginia McMartin. And after just seeing her picture, it made me fall into a sick and wrong rabbit hole. So let's take a couple of what the fuck pills and we're going to trip down the hole together, shan't we? Yes, I did say shan't. I was about to to ask you, you just said shan't. Is that like a typical word they use up in uh, the north of England? Surely it is. And don't call me Shirley. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) By the end, the McMartin preschool abuse trial will become the longest and most expensive criminal trial in American history, and it would serve as a cautionary tale for why we shouldn't believe everything that comes out of the mouths of babes. By the time it was called quits, the government had shelled out $50 million in seven years of wasted resources, not to mention the lives left ruined in its wake, all started by a single phone call to a police uh, in Manhattan Beach, California, by the mother of a -a two-and-a-half-year-old son, a woman called Judy Johnson. You know, uh, Manhattan Beach is where I bought my Gothmobile. It you is, yeah. Car. I love your car. The one that repeatedly made you car sick? It's not the car that makes me car sick. <laughs> but it's maybe the driver? it's the driver. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the way you take your corners while I'm in a delicate disposition. You know, you're only the fourth person who's ever said that. Good. <laughs> Her wee burn, as the Scots say, had attended McMartin Preschool around 10 times in 1983. The school was run by the founder, Virginia McMartin. Her daughter, Peggy McMartin Bucky, she's the school administrator. And her grandson was 25-year-old Ray Bucky, who would end up paying the biggest price of all. He also worked at the preschool. The preschool was considered one of the best in the district, and the demand was so high for it that there was a wait list. But I feel like there is a wait list for every fucking preschool, isn't there? Especially you think nowadays. Back in the, you think back in the 80s there wouldn't be, but yeah. I mean, especially in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Judy spoke to Detective Jane Hogue and told her that school aide Ray Bucky had molested her son. She said her son had come home from school one afternoon and she had noticed that he had developed a rash on his tiny ass and he was also bleeding from a hole that no man or boy wants to bleed from. To accompany this, he was also having painful bowel movements as well. You know, those, those are some words no parents ever want to hear. Mommy, there's blood in my BM. I don't want to hear that like now. I mean, <laughs> just by myself. 
After having it confirmed through a paediatrician that his injuries could be consistent with molestation, Judy fingered Raymond Bucky as the preschool pederast. Uh, emphasis on fingered. Obviously, I love just saying the word fingered. He fingered him, see? So transatlantic. She claimed that Bucky must have molested her son Matthew with a thermometer because Matthew was obsessed with playing doctor, a game that he said he played at school. Judy's pretty fucking sure of herself, isn't she? Yeah, she really thinks she knows what's going on here. Despite the fact her son couldn't even pick Ray out of a various photo lineup, that didn't stop the police from launching an investigation into Ray Bucky and conducting multiple searches of his home and confiscating what they called evidence, such as his very Nazi graduation robe from the school of pedophiles, a pedo teddy bear, which I must admit, a man of 25 owning a teddy bear is a bit, is a bit wrong, it's a bit Nazi and his stack of horribly homoerotic Playboy magazines. Ray's arrested on September the 7th, 1983, all because of this one phone call. I also read that uh, he had a, they confiscated his rubber ducky. Oh no, not Ray's rubber ducky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I was wondering this whole time when I read this is, did the police show the teddy bear to young Matthew and ask, where did the evil man stick the thermometer? Yeah, and then he just started ramming the thermometer up the fucking teddy bear's ass. <laughs> Is he, he did he there. do it there? Right there? In this this hole? Yes. Yes, officer. Make it stop. Due to the complete lack of evidence, uh, he was arrested the same day, but his freedom, and then he was released, but his freedom was met with a very angry letter from Judy Johnson sent to the then DA Ira Reiner. Other deaf hags ears they might have perked up at this name because he was the original defense attorney for Leslie Van Houten in the Tate LaBianca trials. Because no murder story of LA can be complete without a Manson tie-in, Ira Reiner was actually a friend of Charlie's and this was how he was appointed to the case in the first place. Charlie didn't like the way that Ira was trying to separate Leslie's defense from the rest of the cult goon squad and he was replaced by Ronald Hughes, Manson's former attorney during jury selection. But maybe this would be a lucky break because Hughes would wind up very, very dead out near Barker Ranch, and uh, which is where the creeps and the weirdos lived. His severely decomposed body meant the cause and nature of his death has been undetermined, except to those that know, you know. And as another fun fact, did you know where he's buried? Where? He's buried in Westwood. So the next time we go hmm. to Westwood to go and see John Casavetes and uh, Rodney Dangefield and Marilyn Monroe, we'll have to pay little Ronald Hughes a visit. And his murder's unsolved to this day? Well, they say it was like, it's undetermined, but he's he was pretty much murdered. I think, Le, is it Lynette from kind of said, squeaky, like implied that they might have had something to do with it. We'll never know. But he's dead. So let's move on. By the time that Ira became the 39th DA for LA in 1984, he was already well known and he's going to leave his mark. He served time on the trials of the Night Stalker, Rodney King, the Menendez brothers and the McMartins preschool. On September the 8th, police chief Harry Kuhlmeyer, he sent out a letter to 200 McMartin preschool parents stating that Ray Bucky had been suspected of child abuse and he's asking for more information. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? Fucking exactly. means nothing I mean... then. Yeah, it's just like, talk about pouring gasoline on a fire. Like, he's going to incite right. hysteria with this. 
So in the letter, which you can find online and read for read in its entirety, he asked for more information in the continuing investigation. He said, please question our child to see if she uh, or if he has been a witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttock or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding ever, having ever observed Ray Bucky to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period, or if they have ever observed Ray Bucky tie up a child, is important. Because this happens in schools all the time, obviously. <laughs> now all the parents were asking their kids if a stranger named Ray had ever fucked them in the ass, and all of Los Angeles was calling him Ray the pedo. Exactly. So he's already guilty in the eyes of the public. But I mean, right. I got to say, Ray is a great name for a pedo. I love the name Ray. Because it, really it like, Rays don't really happen over in Britain. Like, I don't think you don't I know have any a Raymonds? Ray. No, I don't even think I know a Raymond. I like Ray, 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 though. I would never go by Raymond. You know, I wonder how many parents are making their kids, like, pull their pants down and checking their assholes for tampering. Just don't have children and this problem won't happen to you. It's that simple. Now Judy is going to start getting really weird with it. Maybe it was because America was at the height of its satanic panic. Maybe it's because Judy was a drunk and she had seen The Exorcist one too many times. Maybe it's because Jackie is a punk, Judy is a runt. They both went down to the DA and said that Ray diddled kids and oh, I don't know why. But actually, I do know why. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. She described in the letter of satanic rituals being held at the school. In a police interview on February the 15th and 16th of 1984, Judy said another child called Billy had confessed the following story to her. Billy described having communion in a church. A prayer similar in sound to, to the Lord's prayer was recited. A goat climbed up higher, higher and higher. Then a bad man threw it down the stairs. It woke up later. Ray poked Peggy at the altar. Lots of candles. They were black. Ray pricked his right pointer finger. It bled. Ray put it in the goat's anus. Nobody had clothes on under the robes. Billy had a robe on too. They put a band-aid on his finger. Old grandma played the piano. Lots of frets were made against Billy and his family. It's unclear whether it was a doll or a real baby. Billy says it was a real baby, but the head was chopped off and the brains were burned. Billy said Peggy killed the baby. Peggy had scissors in the church and she cut Billy's hair. Billy had to drink the baby's blood. Ray wanted Billy's spit. He put it on the altar. The baby was big like Billy. It screamed. When Billy's bottom was bleeding, Ray put a Tampax in his bottom to stop the bleeding. Then he took it out. This is a woman's police interview. <laughs> I mean, up until the Tampax in the kid's asshole, this actually seems kind of cool. Are you like, this is what I could do this weekend, this uh, Memorial I, Day I was weekend. about to say, if, you know, if I was a parent, I'd be like, yeah, this is the type of preschool I'd put my kid in up until the Tampax and the anus. I'm not going to do that. You would like to think that maybe as like a police investigator, you get to a point where you're like, okay, lady, uh, where's Billy at? Maybe we should need, maybe we should talk to Billy about this. Like, this is batshit crazy. Like... Just reading it now, it's like really shit. It's like really shit horror fiction. Well, you'd think you'd want to like 
cross-examine or get another find another witness who could corroborate this insane story. But apparently they just went with it. They did. You know. Judy insisted that Ray and Peggy had taken her son. They had sodomized him whilst his head was in a toilet, which is kind of like a next level whirly. Did that ever happen to you? Do you guys Basie? call it a whirly? I know it's a whirly, but we don't really ha- have bullying like that in Britain. We call it a swirly. A swirly, a whirly? I would know it as a whirly. I, I mean, maybe in England it's a whirly. Here it's a swirly. Yeah. And she also said that they'd locked Matthew in the trunks a trunk of Ray's car and driven him through a car wash. Car wash is also a thing that repeatedly upsets her. She said that Ray pranced around the preschool in a cape. He pranced. And he also wore a Santa Claus costume and that the other teachers would chop up pet rabbits and other satanic shit like that. She's (laughs) mental. (laughs) I just love the Santa Claus costume. So he's walking around prancing about in the costume with a cape while the teachers are chopping up rabbits. And one of them place some sort of pentagram on her son's butt cheek. Oh, it's like a star on his chocolate star. She also alleged that Ray had had sex with animals and that Ray Bucky could fly and would fly around the room Uh and that school administrator (laughs) Peggy drilled a child under the arms, which I don't quite understand what that means. But With a drill? I guess... And then uh, she later claimed that her dog had been sodomized and that her estranged husband molested one of their children. But that was after the fact. And this is the main witness for all of this starting. This is all the testimony from a main witness. So, Because this case gets bonkers. This isn't even the start of it. Yeah, and please, detectives, hearing this evidence from this complete, you know, insane person, were like, okay, yeah, let's pursue this further. He must have done all this. This without sounds being, plausible to me. Yeah, but without the mere bit of skepticism, that's what I don't get about this. I don't either. There's uh, some other strange things afoot in L.A. corruption going on for sure. <sighs> so the snowball of suspicion about Judy the Loon, it's now growing, but the investigation was considered so far underway that it was like deemed to be its own beast, and the chief's letter grew to more accusations and more demands from the parents to take this thing to a trial. Well, well, that's the thing. Back back then, you know, people would look at Judy and be like, you know, maybe she is a paranoid schizophrenic, like because these these are just like insane accusations and allegations that she's making. But now, she'd just be a QAnon supporter, (laughs) most likely a Trump voter, and uh, you know, potentially an elected member of Congress. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, give Judy a Twitter, and she'd have a million followers. Yeah, for sure. So, Free I mean, Letterman would not be much has her. changed, put it that way. So if you think Judy was a mentalist, now in steps Key McFarlane, who's a consultant, she was at the time, a consultant and director for the Children's Institute, the CII. And very fun fact, she is the inventor of the show us where he touched you doll. Oh, my God. I love that doll. She invented it. That's quite a claim to fame. We all love that doll. Yeah. I reference that doll at least once a week. Show us on the door where he touched you, D. Was it up the ass with a thermometer? It was. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> she actually pioneered this doll during the McMartin investigation. She interviewed around 400 children in a fact-finding mission. He believed that children automatically suffered from a coping condition called the Child Sexual Abuse Accommodation Syndrome, 
also known as CSAAS, not CSASS, which is what I want to call it, CSAS. It's basically a pseudoscience, and this is where the diddle child will always deny that they have ever been diddled because of the psychological trauma. As of today, the American Psychiatric Association do not recognize it as a real syndrome. Most scientists fucking don't, but Key certainly did. Parents would send their children to her to face a two-hour-long interview to coerce the subjects into giving desired responses that asked leading questions, telling those being interrogated that other children from the preschool had already revealed abuses. Correct answers are then rewarded in various ways. McFarlane explained that she succeeded in bringing out the secrets with the help of anatomically correct dolls and a set of puppets through which she asked children questions during her interviews. So the puppets included Mr. Alligator, Mr. Snake, Detective Dog, and Mr. Sparky. (laughs) And keep in mind, these are preschool age children. So these are like four-year-old, five-year-olds, right? Yeah, some as young as like three. Well, so she goes, she's using these puppets to persuade these kids. It's yeah. it's like a suggestive type of coercion, which is what she's doing. She want, she knows the answer she wants. These kids obviously have no idea what the fuck she's talking about. And so she gives them these cute puppets and they're just kind of agreeing with her. She's basically using this, like she's suggesting the answers to the kids and they're playing right along with her rather than, even though this kid clearly contradicts her several times. Like, well, no, I didn't hear that. I guess I heard people singing this song, but this is what she did for two hours. So at the end of this interview, you're going to come out believing, yeah, they were sticking rectal thermometers up my ass. He was flying around and we we're all playing naked it. movie it star. And kids' brains are like mush as well. They're not fully formed. So even if they hadn't had abuse, she's technically now abused them into believing that they've been abused. So she's fucking evil. Well, that's the thing. These interviews follow the specific pattern that she's she's used, a, a technique that she's honed. You know, the kids denied the evidence of the abuse because they didn't actually witness anything. But eventually, after two hours, you know, they gave McFarland the story that she wanted to hear. And then she went directly to the parents and was like, your kid's been abused. And this is the uh, nature of their abuse. And no one questioned her techniques. She eventually had 384 children claiming that Ray had popped his pinkle in their pants by the spring of 84. Key would later testify before Congress that she believed there was an organized nationwide conspiracy of individuals and orthodox satanic groups sexually abusing children, although she couldn't present any real evidence or facts or any proof of any individuals that were up to these types of shenanigans. So we've got two fucking mentalist ladies leading this like tirade against this school at this point. This case sent the public into a moral panic and the McMartin preschool case was one of the earliest multi-victim, multi-offender cases. It launched a chain reaction of child sexual abuse cases involving preschools and day centers across the country and eventually over the, over the entire world over the coming decade. And the public was watching as the dishy details from the hearing that's going to begin to spill out on the front pages of the newspapers. I mean, that's what happens like with the, the just from, you know, the police sending out that letter to the public, you know, causing fear, stoking this hysteria. Next thing you know, the media picks it up. Next thing you know, they have pseudo scientific evidence that corroborates these allegations. And now a pack mentality sets in. 
You know, it's like all of a sudden across California and beyond the country, normal standards of fairness and reasonable skepticism were thrown out, you know, because now they're reading these stories of this monstrous behavior by these defendants who are already in the public eye, you know, guilty pederasts. And now there's like mass meetings in church recreation halls. There's telephone hotline volunteers who are fielding calls from concerned parents that were just crying, say, you know, confabulating these stories about their kids yeah. being molested and being raped. Um, you know, uh, parents drove their children along the streets of Manhattan Beach so the children could point to different homes saying, they took me there, they took me there, and that's where they raped me. And then there were conferences in which the parents of Manhattan Beach children would travel to other states to talk to parents in New York or in Massachusetts. And then they would, uh, you know, they, they were communities in which large groups of small children had begun for the first time to describe sexual molestation and abuse that's been happening to them, but that, that never occurred in these communities. It's insane yeah, the, the way this proliferates. Yeah, the way it just snowballs. 150 of the 384 children who were interviewed and claimed diddling uh, had occurred. They're given medical examinations, as you would expect. They're given a medical examination by a Dr. Astrid Hager of the CII. And we're going to use that term Dr. Loosely here because she didn't base her findings on physical evidence, but on medical histories and her belief that any conclusions should validate the child's history, whatever the fuck that means. Her initial exams revealed to her only six cases of sexual assault, which can't be proven to have occurred at the preschool anyways. Using a magnifying device called a, a, coloscopy, a coloscopy, Dr. Hager claimed to detect small scarring patterns in genital and rectal areas of other children, which she, she said suggested sexual abuse. Other researchers, however, would later insist that the scarring patterns that the CII's doctor discovered were common even in children with no history of sexual abuse. And where, and when a nationally recognized child abuse expert conducted blind studies using her slides, the results was no correlation between the um, evaluations of medical experts. So she's fucking making it all up. Well, that's the thing. I, I think she's just once again providing false evidence to support these allegations. Because I mean, I'm sure Dr. McFarlane, you know, uh, from CII was asking her to do this. Like, you need to, yeah. like, I, these children have claimed that they've been abused. We've proven that in these interrogations and these interviews that we've had with them. Now we need medical evidence. It all kind of reminds me of the West Memphis Free. This is just like how the same thing can just keep happening and happening. It's just injustice. So these, yeah. It is. The claims they're getting later indict seven employees of the McMartin preschool on March the 22nd, including Virginia, Peggy, and Ray Bucky, along with employees Mary Ann Jackson, Babette Spitler, and Betty Rader. And they're going to become known as the McMartin Seven. Poor Virginia. I mean, she's an old lady at this point. Like, she founded the preschool like 30 years ago. So 30 years, they've never had a single allegation like this. Until this fucking woman. Yeah. And then another fucking woman Until comes Judy. Along. As a collective, the cohorts were first charged with 115 counts of molestation, which rose to 321 charges soon after, involving 
48 different children. Extra charges were heaped on by the then DA uh, Robert Philobasayan, sorry I'm saying his name wrong, who was hoping to hype the case to boost his chances of re-election in the upcoming election. So there's corruption just going on here. Oh, and a lot of people say IRA. They're politicizing this, uh, this, this event. Completely. In June of 85, Peggy's bail was set at $1 million and Ray is held without bail. Again, this is there's no evidence. These people are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, right? No, apparently not. There's barely even circumstantial evidence. You know, there, I guess yeah, you could say isn't. a stack of Playboy magazines means he's a sexual oh. deviant, but come on. What? Yeah, what 25-year-old straight man who has a stack of Playboys? Is, does that make you? I have a stack of Playboys in my living room. Does that make me a sexual deviant? Yes. It was just a meme. It was just a meme. I'm pointing that out. I'm just saying you did post some questionable uh, <laughs> memes to Facebook that got you banned from Facebook. Might I just say that I'm probably more guilty then uh, than Ray is. So throw me onto the coals, Judy. By the time the media circus rolled around to showtime in August, we of course knew that zero evidence was found in either the school or in any of the homes of any of the defendants. There was no nude photographs of children, despite the insistence of investigators and parents that such photographing was commonplace at McMartin. There was no evidence found of secret rooms where massive instances of sexual abuse were said to have taken place. In March of 85, a group of nearly 50 McMartin parents determined to unearth the secret tunnels that, that apparently ran all underneath the preschool began digging in a lot next to the school. They were allowed to. A few days later, the parents were joined in their efforts by an archaeological firm hired by the district attorney's office. Still, no secret rooms were ever discovered. And like further on during the later trials, in 1990, an archaeologist was hired to determine whether tunnels had ever existed under the school because some of the children had alleged that some of their abuse took place in tunnels under the building. The archaeologist's report was issued in 1993 and it concluded that evidence of backfilled tunnels had been found. But the analysis of the report concludes otherwise that's what the archaeologist found was actually filled in remains of a family's, like a rural family's trash pit that predated the construction of the school. So well, it had been there since when Los Angeles was founded. Yeah, well, once again, I mean, they were like striving to look for this evidence that could uh, substantiate their claims here. And so this is like, this just shows you how long the trial progressed. I mean, it wasn't just like yeah. a one trial thing. It was multiple trials, a period of years. And so the parents still trying to find some kind of evidence. They hire this archaeological firm. Um, this professor named Stickle uh, was digging. I mean, they, they paid his whole firm to go in there and, and dig for months under the school to try to find these secret molestation tunnels. And what he found was a string of old trash pits rather than tunnels. And, and then fits the history of the area. I mean, the, there, you know, people had lived there before the preschool was founded. You know, the, the preschool wasn't even founded until 1966. So prior to that, it was a rural area. And, uh, you know, which was evidenced by the uh, presence of a septic tank. So there wasn't even a city trash pickup which probably wasn't even um, available at the time. So what a lot of these rural communities did is they just buried their trash in pits. And what was found in these, you know, quote-unquote tunnels was just a bunch of old trash and cans and bottles and some chicken bones. And so parents and were already head. like, satanic cult. Satanic yeah, cult. Sa there was a satanic um, 
like ritual uh, event space as well and a goat's head. But, you know, it was just trash from the olden (laughs) days. The defense paraded experts and they aggressively cross-examined anything the prosecution threw at them. Key McFarlane, she testified at the preliminary hearing that the abuse was able to go on for years because children either suffered from the denial syndrome or they were afraid that revealing McMartin's dark secrets would result in their own deaths or the deaths of family members. Needless to say, the testimony from the children at the hearing was fucking bizarre. Several children said that they were photographed performing nude tumbling as part of the Naked Movie Star game. One kid even said that they had a song to accompany the game that they would sing. What you see is what you are. You're a naked movie star. That's how I would sing it. How would you sing it? Pretty much like that. I'd maybe rap it a little bit. Add some beatboxing. Oh, oh, go on. Rap it a little. Not going to do that. What you see is what you are. You're a naked movie star. I'd sing it like I'm in Blue Peter. One child even fingered Chuck Norris in a series of photographs and said that he was the one who stole his innocence. So satanic Chuck Norris is here diddling kids in Manhattan Beach. And they're just believing him. I'm sure that's not the first kid who fingered Chuck Norris. But I could (laughs) believe that. I could totally believe that because Chuck Norris is an unstoppable force. I mean, the kid had no choice but to let him have his way. Don't you, you miss do? like the very early days of the internet when it was just nothing but Chuck Norris memes? What year do you remember was that? that, was that time? Early two thousands. Feels early two thousands when Chuck Norris was everything. I mean, I loved Chuck Norris in the eighties, like Braddock missing in action. Dead I don't think I've force. ever seen. Oh Chuck my god, Norris I loved it. Chuck Norris was also in End of the Dragon. I mean, he's a, he was great, but then oh, he is. Yeah, but then in uh, later days, he became like a total Bible thumper. He's like a holy roller. That doesn't surprise me. He, no. can, he can, you know, people can Bible thump, just don't throw it in my face. Some of my heroes are Bible thumpers. Walker, Texas like Ranger. John Fogarty. I forgot he was in End uh, of the Dragon. And you know, he yeah. taught Elvis karate too. Yeah, he's a badass. He's like a champion. Yeah, good for him. He's still alive, isn't he? Chuck. Charles. You don't Charles hear much Morris. about it. I bet she has like Parkinson's or something. Oh, well. Anyways, he diddled a kid. <laughs> Other kids said that they played cowboys and Indians. We all did that. But they played a naked version where the Indians would get revenge and they would rape the cowboys or it would be the other way around. Children said the assaults took place on farms, in circus tents, in strangers' homes, car washes, star rooms, and the secret tunnels that were beneath the preschool. Children also said that they were forced to watch as pet rabbits, mice, and turtles. They were killed by their teachers for satanic sexy fun. One young boy said that they would watch the adults wearing robes perform animal sacrifices in candlelit ceremonies and the children would then be forced to drink the dead animal's blood. Leading on from that, one young boy said that the teachers took them to a cemetery where the kids were forced to dig up old graves to get to the coffins within. Once the coffins were hauled up above ground, they would be opened and the McMartin teachers would hack at whatever was inside with knives. Just fucking hacking at them. <laughs> These these kids are so creative. They have such a such a uh, you know a limitless imagination here. I'm sure Mr. Alligator wasn't implanting any of these false memories. I'm, oh, I'm no. sure these kids were coming up with you know talking about animal sacrifices and adults wearing ropes. Just clearly on their own cognizance. I doubt you know Mr. Alligator suggested any of that to them. You know. Yeah, you know, I was a dark kid and I was into the macabre. I've shown you my childhood drawings. But at no point was I drawing, like, satanic imagery. Although it would have been fucking cool if I did. 
Yes, neither was I. I I was into witches and things like that, but it's like I wouldn't even have known about this at age six. You know, one child witness at a preliminary hearing testified that he was driven to a circus house. Like you were just saying the circus house. I don't even know what that is. Like a circus tent? A circus house is where all the performers and all the animals for the circus live in one house together, and it's a really nice house, and it doesn't smell, and it's lovely. I'm sure it smells. But anyway, (laughs) he was driven to the circus house and then molested by someone wearing an elephant costume. A third child at the preliminary hearing testified that they played a game called Lookout, in which small children climbed to the top of the jungle gym to watch for approaching parents while the teachers just fucked all the kids under the jungle gym. Yeah, okay. Um, child witness number five said Raymond Bucky uh, molested him at the McMartin Preschool. He said he saw Bucky's mother, Peggy, um, and she had her bra on. He says That's he good. then saw Raymond Bucky kill a horse by hitting it with a bat, and when the horse died, he saw blood come from its body from the top of its leg. Uh, the defense attorney asked him, well, how many times did he hit the horse before it died? And the kid says, I don't know. And then he says, did the horse ever jump up and buck around when Ray hit it with the bat? And the, kids, the kid says, I don't know. Because he doesn't know any details about this false narrative that he was given. It never, never fucking happened. Exactly. Do you know how many whacks it would take with a bat to kill a horse? I would say <laughs> at least 500. But that's the thing. When you're a kid and you, you, know, you have this, this authoritative figure, whether or not she's holding Porky Pig or you know, Sparky the alligator. It's like, they're telling you to say this. You're just going to say it because you don't know. You think you're going to get in trouble if you don't say it. Yeah, exactly. So she's abused these kids. These kids were all totally fine. And I bet a lot of them came out of this fucked up. Yeah, I'm sure there's psychological trauma from this. I mean, with this mental imagery, she's giving these eight year olds. I mean, if this wasn't in fact an actual thing that this kid witnessed, he would know more details about it. Of course. Yeah. By September of 85, um, this is a year into the hearing. Even the prosecution's having doubts with one whip-smart prosecutor stating Key McFarlane could make a six-month-old baby say he was molested, (laughs) which reminded me of Ian Watkins from Lost Prophets. In 1986, the district attorney dropped charges against all the adults involved except Peggy McMartin Bucky and her son Raymond. They shared 65 charges between them, so far, both have been in jail since being arrested, and the cost to Los Angeles County so far was $4 million, and it hadn't even gone to trial yet. Crazy. Peggy's going to get out on bail at this point, but, you know, Raymond's still in jail for no fucking reason. Before they'd even set foot in the courtroom, independent filmmakers who were producing a documentary on the trial, they turned over um, evidence to both the California AG's office and to the defense attorneys, copies of a taped interview with the McMartin prosecutor, Glenn Stevens. In the interview, Stephen acknowledges that the children began embellishing and embellishing their stories of sexual abuse and said that as prosecutors, we had no business being caught. Stevens also admitted on tape that prosecutors withheld potentially exculpatory information from defense attorneys, including evidence concerning the mental instability of the original compliant in the case, Judy Johnson, as well as evidence that Johnson's son was unable to identify Ray Bucky in a police lineup. Well, there you go. I mean, this kid could even point to the person who allegedly molested him. diddled him. Not to mention Judy Johnson was diagnosed with acute schizophrenia. 
I mean, she had a I mean, she had in her medical history that she had acute schizophrenia and was taking medication for it, not to mention being an alcoholic, which she found out later. But I mean, the fact that this woman is a schizophrenic and her son couldn't even point out the molester in the lineup, why would you go to trial with this? Why would it even get so far that two people are still going to be in jail a year later? Who yeah, fucking it's knows? A it's mind-boggling. So based on the revelations contained in the interview, defense attorneys moved the charges against Ray and Peggy Bucky, she's going to be dismissed. But Judge Pounders, it's an amazing name for a judge, (laughs) he denied the motion and the batshit crazy case was thrown to the wolves. It went along as much as the hearing did, but there's one small fun thing from the trial uh, within, and it was the hours that they spent discussing pyramids. This is a thing. Dee's going to talk about how it's a thing in a bit because I never knew. Well, I love how, uh, keep in mind, they're paying millions of dollars to have this discussion. They are. Of like, your money no, as well. We're paying. The taxpayers are paying for this. So, uh, famoustrials.com, I got a lot of information from this. It's really well written. It's by Professor Douglas Olinda. So, this is his story. I'm quoting. Professor Douglas Olinda here. He said, Ray Bucky was a believer in pyramid power, which he said has a powerful effect on all living things. So pyramid power refers to the belief that the ancient Egyptian pyramids and objects of similar shape can confer a variety of benefits to those who believe in them. Among these assumed properties are the ability to preserve foods, sharpen or maintain the sharpness of razor blades, improve health, (laughs) Uh, function as a thought form incubator, triggers sexual urges and other effects. Um, such unverified conjectures regarding pyramids are collectively known as pyramidology. And there's no scientific evidence whatsoever that supports the theory of pyramid power. But it was one of those like 70s self-help things that a lot of people believed in. And apparently so did Ray. Yeah, I kind of get that, though. But in my innocent mind, I totally thought he was just like really into Egyptology. And it's like, obviously, if you're really into Egyptology, you'll be into pyramids. And I just thought it would be all about the pyramids. (laughs) I didn't realize it was a mystical thing. Well, it's kind of a it's kind of about the pyramids. It's about like Egyptology and the and the 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 belief that the that the reason these pyramids exist is to benefit us. And we can harvest these pyramids and the power within to better help improve our lives. Yeah, it's no, bullshit. I just think super but a lot of the yeah. 70s self-help, even all, all the self-help stuff is bullshit. Scientology, mainly. But this one, mm-hmm. for sure. It's just one of the, it was a trend back then. So the prosecution, they wanted the jurors to know about Ray's fascination with pyramids. They wanted them to know that uh, Ray drove around Los Angeles wearing a pyramid hat and he hung a pyramid over his bed. The prosecution argued that the pyramid evidence undercut Peggy Bucky's argument that she would never hire an unfit teacher at the McMartin preschool. Prosecutors also, prosecutors also argued that the pyramid obsession made more credible one child's testimony that Ray was involved in satanic-like rituals. Judge Pounders agreed to let the jury hear the pyramid evidence. Uh, a personal note here from Douglas Olinda. The actual pyramid hat that was introduced into the Bucky trial now resides in his office. It came boxed in a set of trial records and exhibits donated to the UMKC Law School by uh, Bucky's defense team. He said, I almost never wear the hat, which I think is brilliant. (laughs) You'd so get drunk and try it on at night. Oh, for sure. 
The prosecution even went as far to state that an interest in pyramids meant you were a pedo, and they even dug up a desert skank, which is probably the one that Jojo met in Vegas, who said that he must be a pedo because he didn't shag her when they were at a pyramid convention. And again, my idea of a pyramid convention was just like you would go and learn what all the different pyramids were. I didn't realize it was a mystical thing. I was just like, oh, I would go to a pyramid convention. Yeah, why not? You know, in defense of pyramidology... It's got about as much credibility as Christianity or any other organized religion out there. You know? But this is probably more fun, though, because it'll be like, it'll so. tell you where all the pyramids fun. Breaking under cross-examination very easily, the desert skank stated that she had been lying under oath. She had never tried to seduce the pedo pyramid fan and insisted she was engaged and that there was no possibility that Ray could have ever touched up kids. When Peggy took the stand, she replied never when asked if she had molested children, as did Ray, who also denied that he had ever killed a horse with a baseball bat, <laughs> as that one kid had claimed. Although he did admit that sometimes he didn't wear underwear, how disgusting, and he owned a stack of Playboys next to the toilet. Pervert. Well, he's a, he's a pedo. On November the 2nd, 1989, after nearly 30 months of testimony, 30 fucking it's months... It went on a two and a half month verdict finding mission. And I thought this was all funny because everyone always talks and lambasts how long the OJ Simpson trial was. And like after the OJ trial, they kind of changed how long people should be sequestered for. This was 30 months. Well, keep in mind, the OJ trial actually had tangible evidence. True. (laughs) And a nice catchy (laughs) rhyme too. Although this one had a song. So. And eventually they're going to come back asking for acquittal because guess what? They're deadlocked. By now the cost had amped up to 13.5 million paid for by the the California taxpayer. It's crazy. But guess what? This only angered the middle class. Apple pie baking, wonder bread eating, no blowjob giving. Won't someone think of the children, mothers of Manhattan Beach, who took to the streets with signs declaring, we believe the children. Believe the children became the mantra of ad- advocates who insisted that children never lied or they were mistaken about the abuse. The courts made unprecedented changes to criminal procedure to accommodate this mistaken notion. The California Supreme Court ruled that child witnesses were not required to provide details about the time and the place of the alleged molestation to support a conviction. The U.S. Supreme Court held that child witnesses could testify outside the courtroom despite the Sixth Amendment's clear commandment that a defendant has the right to confront his or her accusers. So do you know what? If you're just going to fuck about with the amendments, just throw them all in the ocean at this point. What are they there for? Well, it sounds like the laws are pliable. Like you can bend them to your will. Like if you need a law to do this to support some accusation, well, then let's change it. Yeah, but that's not what it's supposed to be about. No. One McMartin parent called the verdict in the first trial a crime, almost equal to the crime that occurred outside the courtroom. A television poll showed 87% of respondents thought that both bookies were guilty. But see, in the public eye, they're already deemed guilty without even access to a fair trial. But this case was unprecedented. I mean, there had never been a case like this up until this point, especially with nationwide attention like this, to a child sexual abuse case. Um, Before, you know, that... Yeah, August 1983, no one had even heard of the McMartin Preschool. But after this period, then now there's groups called the Society's League Against Molestation or Parents Against Child Abuse or all these different 
community groups popping up affirming children's truth. But at the same time, while there are all these groups that were obviously against the uh, McMartins here, uh, there are other groups. The uh, Friends of the McMartin Defendants posted an ad that said Salem, Massachusetts, 1692, Manhattan Beach, California, 1985. We should make that into a T-shirt. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a direct correlation. I mean, they're they're pretty much the same. It's, it's a witch hunt. Yeah, but we that would be a cool T-shirt. I would wear that. The prosecutors, they were signed off by DA Ira Reiner. They're not willing to let the matter drop. And they decided to retry Ray on eight of those counts. By this point, it had been nearly six years since he had first been arrested. Six fucking years in jail for no reason. That's insane. And the second trial was a much more focused proceeding because it involved only eight counts of molestation with three children. So the prosecution presented its entire case in just 13 days compared to 15 months in the first trial yeah, and offered only 11 witnesses. And one of the witnesses was the mother who on the stand glared at, at Ray and said, I'm so angry at you, I could kill you right now. Uh, the prosecution also chose not to call Key McFarlane as a witness. Uh, or as an interview, they, the uh, prosecution chose not to call her as a witness. Uh, she was called as a defense witness, which is kind of right. odd. Yeah. Um, jury deliberations after the three-month trial were described by one juror as excruciating, but they ended their deliberations deadlocked once again on all eight counts. And they leaned toward acquittal on six of the counts and leaned toward conviction on only one. Following this mistrial, because now it's a complete mistrial, uh, the mm-hmm. DA... Reiner chose not to retry Bucky a third time, and all the charges were dropped. So even the charges against Ray, they're finally dismissed. That actually doesn't mean in the eyes of the law that he is declared innocent. Rather, it means that the jury will forever be out for him. So he's not even considered innocent. So we're going to talk about what happened for a few of the key players next. Judy Johnson, the paranoid schizophrenic lush. She had died during the first trial from having a booze-filled liver. She never got to see the fruits of her labor, including finding out if the allegations that also her husband had raped her children were true or not. Well, she actually died in 86 before the trial even began. Oh, yeah, sorry, during the hearing. (laughs) She died of fatty metamorphosis of the liver, which is associated with alcoholism. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard drinker to die from that so young. (laughs) So Kyle Sapp was one of the children interviewed by Key McFarlane. He said that he knew that they weren't false memories. They all knew that the stories of the abuse were made up. They never did anything to me, and I never saw them doing anything, he said uh, recently in an interview. I said a lot of things that didn't happen. I lied. Anytime I would give them an answer that they didn't like, they would ask again, and they would encourage me to give them the answer that they were looking for. It was really obvious what they wanted. I knew the types of language that they used on me, things like I was smart or I could help the other kids who were scared. The lawyers had all my stories written down, and they knew exactly what I had said before. So I knew I would have to say those exact things again and not have anything be different, otherwise they would know that I was lying. I put a lot of pressure on myself. At night in bed, I would think hard about things I had said in the past and try to repeat only the things I knew I'd said before. I would love to look at the defendants from the McMartin preschool trial and tell them that I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I think as you get older, you realize like the hell you put It's not his fault, through. though. Well, no, because I mean, like, he was being coerced by these- uh, He was abused by psychologists, them. Psychologists, you know? Yeah. 
Another student named Kyle Zerpolo told the LA Times in 2005 that he had fabricated the allegations outright. He said as a child, he claimed to have been abused by Ray, even though he had never even met him. So they were coaching these kids to try to get a conviction towards Ray Bucky. Um, However, I read that one of the many victims, Elizabeth uh, Kiafi, she still maintains that she has memories of being abused by Ray. She says, although it's easy to discredit stories from a toddler, she said that she's certain she was molested. Ray Bucky took away my childhood. He took away my trust in other people. This is what I mean, though, when they were abused by this, this Key McFarlane because she's implanting false memories in you. And as a child, it can be very hard to differentiate what's real and what hasn't happened. So she's really the abuser. I, I have no doubt that Ray never fucking diddled one single child and neither did Peggy or anyone at that school. These are the people who fucked up these kids. Definitely. Danny Davis was Ray's defense attorney, and he said he was singly the most heroic client I've ever defended, not only because he was innocent, but he endured it with a quiet wisdom, unlike me, who would be complaining from start to finish. (laughs) Ray's going to change his name. He's going to attend law school. I mean, he's spent enough time in the throes of the law. He moved to the Northwest. His grandmother, Virginia, and mother, Peggy, they tried to sue for slander, but they were slapped in the face with a $1 win. Virginia, who started this whole thing for me, she died after a bunch of strokes, not kiddie strokes, at the age of 88 in 1995. Peggy's going to follow shortly afterwards in December of 2000 at the age of 74. Key McFarlane is still a social worker. The CIA is still in business providing children's treatment services in the Los Angeles community, but they no longer provide children interview services, medical exams, or make any determinations of abuse. Yeah, you'd think they'd lose all credibility, um, mainly due to her findings and techniques being later criticized, as was her relationship with reporter Wayne Satz, who extensively covered the McMartin preschool story for LA's uh, KABC outlet. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So yeah. here she is working for the prosecution, yet dating a reporter and just feeding them information. Following the acquittals of the Buckies, McFarlane claimed that she was naive and never having been part of a case like this. But she stood by her findings and her com- controversial techniques have inspired new protocols in child psychology. Hopefully never to interview a child like that again. Hopefully you'd hope. Now, uh, Dr. Astrid Hager, who developed that magnifying colon checking device called the colposcopy. Uh, she, um, she's now a professor of pediatrics at the University of Southern California and the founder and executive director of the Violence Intervention Program, which offers social services to victims of family violence and sexual assault. Uh, the photographic method she develops has been successfully used in hundreds of molestation cases. Well, some goods come from her. Maybe we should reach out to her and see what she says. I would like to know what her thoughts are looking back on this case. It'd be interesting. The preschool, it was closed. It was demolished in 1991 as they're searching for fucking tunnels. It's replaced by the Strand Cleaners, still there today at 927 Manhattan Beach Boulevard for those deaf hags who are in the local area and want to swing by it. 
In its wake, as hysteria swept the country, abuse counselling quickly became a cottage industry. It attracted often unqualified people who seemed to find satanic sexual abuse everywhere, where believe the children really means believe the children when they are making remotely plausible accusations but ignore the inconsistencies in their stories. But we're going to leave the last words to the wonderfully written Harper's Magazine article from the mouths of babes uh, to a jail cell by, I will... She's got a very Jewy last name. Dorothy Rabinowitz. 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 Yeah. She wrote, we are a society that every 50 years or so is afflicted by some paroxysm of virtue, an orgy of self-cleansing through which evil of one kind or another is cast out. From the witch hunts of Salem to the communist hunts of the McCarthy era to the current shrill fixation on child abuse, the child abuse there runs a com- common thread of moral hysteria after the mccarthy area people would ask but how could it have happened how could the presumption of innocence have been abandoned wholesale how did large and powerful institutions acquiesce as congressional investigators rang roughshod over civil liberties all in the name of a war on communists how is it possible to believe that subversives lurked behind every library door and every radio station Every two-bit actor who'd belonged to the wrong political organization posed a threat to the nation's security. Years from now, people doubtless will ask the same questions about our present era, a time when the most improbable charges of abuse find believers, when it is enough only to be accused by anonymous sources to be hauled off by investigators, a time when the hunt for child abusers has become a national pathology. And it's still like that to this day. You know, exactly. With, she... with members of QAnon saying that the celebrities are running pedophile rings, that Hillary Clinton's molesting kids in a pizza parlor. And it's just the same in modern society. I mean, you can be canceled for just even the slightest wisp of like, I'm not using them as a good example, but look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. He was canceled overnight. You know, well, fired. That's the thing. It's you're guilty or innocent in the public eye. You know, it's like you're 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 being it's the trial by public before the actual trial. Right. And that's that's a problem. But this McMartin preschool abuse trial, you know, was costly in so many ways. I mean, it costs taxpayers, what, almost 15 million dollars, which is insane. Um, And then you look at the defendants, you know, Ray Bucky spent five years in jail. Uh, He lost his home. He lost his job. He lost his life savings. Now he had to live with this stigma regardless of the fact that the charges are completely dismissed. I mean, in the eyes yeah. of the public, he's a pedophile. And finally, there's the collateral damage. Think about this. Daycare centers around the country adopted new policies. And these policies strictly limited physical contact between teachers and kids. And so every parent knows that there's times when a child needs a hug. And now because of the McMartin preschool case, the hugs aren't there, Kate Rambo. And that lack oh. of hugs... Cause, causes the eventual development of serial killers and pederasts throughout the Southern California area. I agree. It's causation right there. <laughs> no hugs equals murderers. We should just have more games of naked cowboys and Indians, and then we'll all be fine. Naked movie star. People, this is episode 896 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is the number of the Sick and Wrong hotline. But first, uh, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey kids, do you like sex toys? Yeah! Then go to adamandeve.com and make a purchase using coupon code DIDDLE. 
you'll get 50% off your first item, three free adult DVDs, free shipping, and a gift so sensual I can't even mention it on this podcast about murder and bukkake. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E, like your uncle used to do to you. So we've got a couple phone calls to get to here. People, you can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032, or you can email the show, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, this this first call is actually from the backlog. I've been saving it for a bit, but uh, it's a Swede uh, with a fight story. Oh, I do awesome. love the Swede's calls because he's always got yeah. that music bed. It's rousing. It's very Third Reich. Hello, D, Mrs. Kate. This is a Swede, adding to the backlog as per request. This is a fight story from my early 20s. Me and a couple of my friends were standing in line to get into one of Karlstad's more famous and frequented nightclubs on a cold and chilly night. Nothing of the ordinary, since Sweden is known for its cold, and this was in late November slash December. While standing in this line, a beggar approached me, jingling his sack. Of course. Jingling his sack. Which sack? <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I'm surprised. Like you'd think, in terms of environments for homeless people, Sweden would be one of the worst. Although they must take care of their homeless. Yeah, probably better than what fucking America does, which is yeah. Nothing. But it'd be so cold to live on the streets there. Yeah, I always thought if I was a hobo in America, I would go south for the winter and then north for the summer. Yeah, I would definitely go to like Florida or something. Yeah, ride the rails. Asking for deliverance in the freezing temperatures whom no one could ignore. He asked me in a gentle voice for some coins and some spare change, none of which I had. I tried uh, a kindly approach with telling him that he should try during the daytime get a job for himself then i got a tap on my shoulder from a stout they do love that when you say oh why don't you go get a fucking job <laughs> hey buster you know? brown why don't you get a job <laughs> i just i either like if they come and talk to me i first of all i try not to make eye contact ever oh my God. never make eye contact ones. with a mendicant um but i never do that with a homeless person what i usually do though is i'm just like sorry no sorry Ain't got no money. Sorry. No, I say that. Sometimes I'll say sorry. Or like if I'm in Britain, it, it's different. I'll maybe try and help out a hobo on the street. Like if I've got a packet of crisps in my bag, they'll get my packet of crisps. Or if I've got a beer, I'm on the continent, they'll get my beer. In America, I wish them away because my God, I'm terrified of them. You are terrified of homeless people. Like we're walking up. I, I don't know. Were we walking on uh, Santa Monica? I, I think it was Santa Monica. A homeless person walks by. Kay Rambo's just clutching my hand in fear. I am. What, they, what do you think they're going to do? To whisk, well, whisk you away to a circus tent? Put a rectal thermometer in your ass? Yeah, play naked movie style with me. But at least over here, you kind of know they're not on methamphetamines. You know that they're, they're pretty much either alcoholics or they're junkies, and they're pretty much going to keep to themselves. You have more worries about chavs than I do about homeless people over here. 
But over there, they're just in another realm. And they're all like, it's like looking at somebody who's come back from the Vietnam War half the time. Well, they're all mental and they have some issues. And they're they're screaming about like Satan and police and conspiracies in the street. And then you're just worried that they're just going to stab you. Well, weren't you telling me today that that on next door, they're saying some homeless guy was walking up with a UFC glove and just punching women in the face. It's a homeless guy who lives on third. He yeah, lives on the street. steps of this building. It's and not he that wears far an from MMA glove. Yeah, and he just he only punches women. So if you're a woman walking by yourself up third, this guy will punch you. And the police aren't doing anything about it. I'm gonna delete next star because <laughs> every story I read I'm like, can't you wait up. to move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the thing is you can't live in fear. It's just like it's no. it's a reality. You just have to deal with it. You just uh, wish them I away. Ch- I choose to be polite about it. Like my brother's a dick. I think I there's, a, I think there's a point where one of those guys is going to shit in their hand and throw the clump of feces at my brother's face. And he deserves it for being a dick to them. You don't be a dick. You just say, no, sorry. That's all you have to do. I'm just going to speak a Polish phrase and just be like, oh, reklamówka, reklamówka. Yeah, that's and a good idea too. Because you can pretend to be foreign. Yeah. About two heads my size calling me a faggot for not telling this beggar off in a forceful manner. One of my friends immediately grabbed his throat and told him, now you've made Swede angry. Would you also like to see me angry? And that was the cue we were waiting for, basically. The big bastard's friends, four or five of them, flew at us and we proceeded with fists and knees to punish them back into the gutter where they belonged. The only problem was that due to this ruckus, we were observed doing this and forthwith banned from entering any sort of establishment in Carlson that night and for six months forward. What? How can they enforce that? The, well, it's remember in the old community. days when they used to do pub watch? I don't even know if they still do pub watch. That was I a thing over here. That is. Yeah, real bad lads and bad lasses. You would have your shitty, like, uh, uh, what's like it called? Driver's license picture. Your mugshot. Your oh, mugshot. Your mug yeah, shot. it'd be behind the bar, and if you came in, it would be like you're not being served. And then you would ring like the bouncers in the next club, or you'd ring the next pub and be like, "So and so has just tried to come in, be on the watch out." What pub watch? They could make you like persona non grata at all the pubs. Yeah, because it's usually been enforced. By the police. Oh, that's mental. That would never happen here. You do get 86 from a particular bar, but you they'd never, like, call all the bars and be like, don't let this guy in. Yeah. No, it, I, I, I haven't worked in pubs for a long time, so I don't know if they still do pub watch, but pub watch is a thing. I used to, every month when it got refreshed, it was always fun to see the new cast of characters and the new repeating faces. What I don't understand about this story is these two big, tough Dickheads. guys... Um, were upset not because Swede told the homeless guy to go get a job. They were upset that Swede didn't tell this homeless guy off, off. forcefully enough. Like, what yeah. did they expect him to do? Like, punch the, 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 the homeless guy in the face and spit on him? I think they were just looking for a fight, weren't they? And they that picked the like wrong it. Swedes. Well, they picked on the wrong guy because isn't Swede like a Taekwondo master? Fuck yeah. He's an yeah. Olympian. Yep. No police was ever involved, and in my honest opinion, that's how you settle a dispute. Thank you. Good night. Perfect music for that call. 
He's it's good. Like a, He's talented. It was like a Clint Eastwood Western or something. Well, thank you, Swede, for that fight story. I know uh, Swede's kind of mellowed out in his old age. Isn't he a dad now? Yeah, he's a dad, but it doesn't still mean that the fire is not within. Well, I'm sure the fire's still there, but I just don't think he's hanging outside clubs and where's that Carl's? Where's that Carl's bad? Carl's spot. When's the last time you hung out around outside a club? Because I don't think I've done it in over like. Oh, we were at the Frolic Room just on a Sunday. The Frolic's not a club; that's a pub. Well, all right, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I can't remember last time I lined up to get into a club. Probably uh, Barf Sinister was the last time. No, was I lining up with you? Did I line up with you? Yeah, I think you did. We we lined, we queued up to get in there. That's very strange for me. I usually don't queue. Well, it's probably not that big of a queue. Usually have to. But anyway, um, those guys definitely learned a lesson that night. You don't pick Fuck on yeah. the sweet. Fuck no. Yeah. All right, next call we have here is, remember the guy that was telling us that one of his co-army people cut off like his nutsack or cut out one of his testicles yes well he calls in for a follow-up nice hey dean kate uh since you asked this is the follow-up on uh, my army co-worker who uh, cut one of his balls off um yeah he opened up the scrote removed one ball Jesus. patched it up and watched it fill with blood because he didn't uh, cauterize the veins inside properly. Anyway, how was he supposed to cauterize it? Like Rambo? Like heat up a Bowie knife or something? I wonder if he could die from like blood loss on the balls. Yeah, I'm sure you could. Like, is there is there a major artery in the balls? I think you'd just be bleeding. You'd be bleeding out. I don't think it'd eventually just stop. Just but from I, one. I just, what did he do with his one egg? That's what I would like to know. When he got that one egg or his one scrotal egg out, like what? What did he do? Oh, I'm having quite a lot of flashing images right now. Wouldn't you just like squeeze it until it popped, like a slime ball in between your fingers? I would probably hide it like under one of my coworkers' <laughs> beds or something. Like, because aren't they in the army? You'd put it under their pillow, like yeah. the tooth fairy. I'm the nut fairy. The, the other thing that I think would be really satisfying to do is to just like like proper grind it into a wall till it like makes loads of gross noises until it's everywhere on that would be satisfying i think i would probably like bronze it and just keep it as a memento <laughs> my one egg <laughs> lefty hey uh i did see him about a year later and he was dressed as a woman uh in a dress okay. and he had long hair and he told me he was planning to go forward with the sex change operation. So, that's what happened since she asked. Anyway, lick my balls. <laughs> lick my ball. Um, <laughs> lick my one scrotal leg. <laughs> well, okay. I guess he was uh, so gradually well working. Him. Well, he's gradually working towards a sex change. One ball at a time. <laughs> and more power to him. I'm sure, I don't know. I wonder, uh, does the, because I know a lot of guys are in the armed forces they tend to get medical coverage from that, but does that count? Like, can you go get a sex change at a VA hospital? I don't know if they would let you do that. Wouldn't it be they would dishonorably discharge you for, like, mental health first? I mean, I'm not sure how it works. Who knows? I mean, and what I think happened of, to his one scrotal egg? Well, that's a good question, but it sounds like you got the other one taken off. But, you know, this makes me think of, uh, you know, people who are, around my age or older might remember a, a, a an army 
TV show sitcom called MASH, but there was a character, Hawkeye, I believe, that wore a dress. For fun, though. Did he wear it for fun, or was he a cross-dresser, or was he, like, eventually going to... I don't know, but it does seem dangerous wearing a dress in the army when you're surrounded by nothing but men. It kind of feels like you're asking to go for a soapy situation in the bathroom, doesn't it? Well, I remember when I was a kid, I was always kind of confused by it because I'm like, why is that guy always wearing a dress? And I didn't know if it was because it was, you know, comedy, like it was comical. (laughs) Yeah. Or if he was actually, you know, wanting to transition. I'm not sure. That was the height of, like, white straight male comedy of like our dad's era was like you want to be funny you just put on a dress it's hilarious oh my god everyone laughs right that was the height of comedy at one point it was the height of comedy but that's all i wonder i don't know how common it is nor do i know if uh hawkeye ever got his balls removed by the va hospital so if you could clear that up there army guy we'd appreciate it uh final call here it's actually a two-parter Oh. Uh, but do you do you remember? I'm not trying to plug the Patreon again, but a couple second shows ago, I think it was probably three weeks ago, we played a call from Harrison. It was an outtake. Yes, where me and Harrison were discussing. Um, he was considering whether or not to go travel out of town to go have a threesome with this older couple that he had met on I Facebook. Remember. And so we played the entire call where he was explaining that he got this email from this couple and he was reading the email and we played that on the second show. It's really hilarious. Um, you can go check it out. Well, anyway, this is the guy who emailed him. He just called back. Oh, my God. In. You know, the moment you said Sacramento, I knew you were talking about my oh, yeah, Sacramento to Harrison. And I just want to point something out. At the time, I was only 55. Oh, you got the idea I was in my 70s. I don't know. But uh, I thought know. Harrison said he was in his 70s. Yeah, didn't Harrison say they're an older couple in like their 60s or their 70s? It could have been me, you know, exaggerating. I'm not sure. But I thought Harrison said 70s. Yeah. Hey, uh, he was into bondage stuff. And, and that wasn't our cup of tea. And uh, the reason I said I had 30 years on him was because I thought he was in his 20s. Anyway, oh. um, just wanted to point that out. Keep it thick, keep it wrong. Well, there you go. You said you had 30 years on him. I know Harrison's real age, so that's probably why I assumed you were in, the, in your 70s. Because Harrison's in his 40s, so I figured you said 30 years yeah. on him. 70s. That's Makes a nice sense. compliment to Harrison. He thought he was in his 20s. Yeah, I think this guy's got to get glasses. As I said, um, with that hairline. <laughs> <laughs> but Harrison did look that old. I wouldn't say he looked like 50. No, Har- no he looked definitely his age, not. like early 40s. Um, yeah, that is funny. So, so there you go. I thought that the reason Harrison didn't go there, not, I didn't know it was an issue with bondage and Harrison being in S&M that, that stopped the threesome from occurring. I thought it was because of Harrison's feet. I 100% think it was because of Harrison's feet. And I also just can't imagine Harrison getting it together to get in his car to drive to Sacramento. I would be surprised about that, too. Yeah. Well, here's a part two. A guy called back. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And while I've never had occasion to have sex with a Jewish man, I've had lots of sex with Jewish women, and they are the best. 
I mean, the absolute best. Lick my balls. <laughs> um, Harrison was a half Jew anyway. Uh, yeah, Harrison wasn't a real Jew. Yeah, he was a half Jew. His father was Jewish. Mother was uh, not Jewish. And I don't think he was raised Jewish. But close enough. Close enough. Um, well, I, I don't I, think that's close enough. In L.A., in your area, can't I'm swing a saying, taro without hitting a This guy, it's close for him saying Jewish, you know? I mean, he, he never had sex with a Jewish man, but he's got a half-breed. That's fine. A half-breed. Yeah, I think Harrison's ideal scenario would have been that the husband and wife would have tied him up and abused him. Whereas I think this couple are just out-and-out out swingers and are just DTF. I think Harrison's ideal scenario would have been the husband and wife would have tied him up and wore like puppets like, you know, Sparky the Alligator uh-huh, and that, like yeah. Casper the Ghost, Friendly Ghost or something, and just did horrible things to him involving rectal thermometers Made and him sing uh, a song. robes and, you know, tying up goats. I, I could just imagine that type of situation. That's what he wanted, yeah. Yeah, and this couple was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Not to mention, your feet are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to hear the whole email, it's, it's hilarious. Just the way he's reading it out, you got to sign up for Patient. Go check it out on the second show. Uh, thank you for calling in. 323-522-4032 is the Sick Wrong Hotline number. And we do, we, we are building a backlog. So if you do want to call in a couple times, a couple stories, feel free to do so. We'll get to it eventually. Also, uh, you can email the show at uh, SigmaRonPodcast at gmail.com. And I want to say thank you to Rob for emailing Kate a copy of the Turner Diaries. I knew that there would be one or two of our listeners that would have a copy of that enlightening piece of literature. And uh, also JKC sent me uh, Dropbox links to the Turner Diaries as well. So look at that. There you go. Yeah. Multiple listeners. Ask us some perverts will hook you up with the Turner Diaries. I haven't read it yet because I've only just got back, but I'm going to like start reading it. I wonder how far I'm going to get before I just like throw it into like the flames. Well, I don't know. You love Mein Kampf. Don't you read that every summer? No, Mein Kampf. (laughs) We've had this conversation many times. It's one of the most boring books. (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, People, you can... um... Uh, buy some Sigaron merch if you want at the Tee Public store. Uh, SigaronPodcast.com slash shop. Uh, click on the picture of the Pope. Um, I did post a pic of a listener wearing our new pervert shirt. And uh, in uh, the Sigaron, um, I think it was a Sigaron Instagram story. And she looked uh, uh, very sexy in the, I think it was the pink version of the pervert, pervert. shirt. And yeah. uh, we had another sexy female listener wearing the eye pentagram. Oh, which is also great. As well. So all sexy, those, uh, uh, if you want some page. merch, just go to sickerongpodcast.com slash shop, click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, Sickerong Song of the Week. I was gutted to hear that legendary soul singer Tina Turner died this past Wednesday. Aren't we all? Yeah, at her home near Zurich, Switzerland, after a very long illness. Uh, her death was attributed to natural causes. She was 83 years old. Um, I didn't realize in recent years that uh, she had been living a quiet life away from the public eye in Zurich, I guess it was one of those things I just kind of forgot that I thought she had died already. I knew she lived there. It was like a, a joke I would often make on the continent. Like, wouldn't it be cool to run into her? Like, she was, was she, living there with her boy toy husband. Well, she suffered from multiple health issues a stroke in 2013, intestinal cancer, and a kidney transplant recently in 2017. That came um, from her husband, by the way. 
He gave her his kidney. Oh, well, that's that's beautiful. Very touching. It is very touching. You know, she renounced her American citizenship uh, for Swiss citizenship, and it gave her that that because it gave her a completely normal life, which is uh, one of the reasons she moved there to have a normal life. She could go to restaurants without being photographed all the time. People didn't stare at her or ask her for autographs. No paparazzi. They don't even have any in Switzerland. Well, no, so anyway, boring, she will huh? be missed. She was a legend. So we're going to end was. the show here with uh, a song by Ike and Tina Turner off their first record, Baby Get It On. Uh, it came out in 1975. It's one of my favorite Tina songs. Um, rest in power, Tina Turner. People will be back next week with episode 897. Until right. then, take it sleazy. <laughs>
that your friends have been helping us out on a couple of key points. Now, Okay, Charlie, show us on the doll. Show you what? Where he touched you. Shall I turn it over? Yeah, turn it over. 